All right, so uh, today I'm pretty excited to have my friend Steve uh, talk with us. Steve, when did we meet? It must have been like two years ago, probably. I think it was December of 18. Yeah, it was December of 18. I, I was out in uh, Nova Scotia seeing one of my best friends named Colin out with his family. And you dropped in out of nowhere, right? And hung out for a few days. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. What did you put together? A kiln for Colin? I think I put in put together three kilns. <laughs> That's right. He's building a... Yeah, the place is gorgeous. Like, the whole pottery setup, the studio, it's amazing. There's They have, like, top-shelf liquor downstairs. Like, Blanton's, the good wow. stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's... There, he's got so many projects on the go. I was, I was going to see if he wanted to come up here for a week. Oh, yeah. Restrictions got lifted and stuff for uh, travel because I would throw him on a plane air miles. It's a straight shot from Halifax to here. Oh, nice. So uh, I'd say, yeah, man, I'm going to for a long weekend or whatever. He's got a big garden on the go apparently now. So Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Colin and I met when I was in Bahrain, you know, and, you know, the big thing about this whole podcast is, um, I'm trying to help people, you know, the book talks about certain things, but it doesn't talk about everything. So, you know, after I left Bahrain, I, I write about how I um, really struggled trying to, like I'd spent over a decade in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, and when I came back from Bahrain, I was just like, I was pretty fucked up in the head, to be honest, you know, I was trying to figure out how to live my life. And Colin and I had met and we played rugby together. We hung out together and, um, I started going up to Nova Scotia to hang out with him. And it was like, you know, you know how it is out there. It's so beautiful. His house is like almost in the middle of nowhere. And literally, like, like I said, every year I would go up there and I would basically like sit in his basement, drink his beer. And like in the, during the day, just like sit out on his deck and like look out at the water, you know, it's just, it's awesome. And him and his family are incredible. We'll probably, I'll probably do a podcast with him too. <laughs> That'd be a shit show. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> they, got, they got a new dog too. You, had, you talked to him lately? I, I talked to him like a couple of days ago or something like that. I didn't know they had a new dog, I don't think. Yeah, uh, he sent me a picture a couple weeks ago. Klaus. Klaus. They got a new shepherd. They have three fucking shepherds. And I, how many cats? A lot. There's, there's at least three. Yeah. Like it's, it's organized chaos when I. Well, it's. Yeah, it's just chaos when I go it's there. It's just it. chaos. But, you know, I show up and it's it's like you never left. Yeah. Yeah, you go there and you feel like home. And it was like that from the first moment I walked in the front door, you know? Yeah. Um, I was almost his neighbor. Really? How? Because, well, I had a posting message this year. Yeah? Like I was supposed to be posted out of Goose Bay, being here less than a year. Really? And his neighbor, uh, what the fuck is his name? I don't remember. Um, I haven't met him. Trevor. Trevor, yeah, yeah, Trevor. Yeah, Trevor, his house came on the market right when I was being posted. Are you serious? I shit you not. And, like, I had a, my old realtor, like, I was I was preparing for this move. And I got my, I have a walk through the whole house. I have everything. Like, can you imagine? That, what, so Trevor's moving? I think he bought uh, bought a piece of property, and he hangs out with Colin's other neighbor on the other side. Uh, yeah, yeah. The roofing dude. 
Yep. I think he had a piece of property bought and he was going to build a house wherever. Gotcha. But the house sold. like, And it was being held on the market. like It was being held back because of all the uh, the COVID stuff come out. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The showing's very limited. Yeah, And yep. as soon as it actually went active, it was gone. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, so I was, I was out in Nova Scotia every year. And then we were supposed to, me, Jeremy, and the kids, we were supposed to be out there, like, in a, a couple weeks from now. But <laughs> the border shut down. Yeah. They, <sighs> and what were you doing there in 2018? Just uh, traveling around, being a vagabond, or what? No, I wish. <laughs> I love doing that, though. I just got back from Iraq in ah. December. So went. Uh, I pretty much got home. I was home for two days in Ontario and then went to Peterborough, which is a little more south, a few hours south, signed the paperwork for my new Harley that I can't drive here. Why? Because I'm in fucking Goose Bay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you the geography in a second. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I got back from overseas, went down, signed the paperwork on the bike, and then came back to my house and jumped on a plane. And when was it December? Yeah, it must have been December. Yeah, it was December, I think. Because it was before it was before Christmas, because after Christmas, I went to Cuba for a week. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, like, so, I, and so what made you go to see Colin? Oh, his, like, it's family. Yeah. When I go, yep. like, I go see my, my folks, my mom, dad, and my brother, and then it's a, Halifax is a leap point. Like, you, you go there, bang, and you just, I, I don't even go out and see anybody else, really. I just go out there. Or if, uh, have you met Caleb? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was, yeah, we go to his camp sometimes as okay. well. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's crazy how, um, especially, you know, so, you know, I was, when I met Colin, I wasn't in the military, but I, I was in the Navy before that. And then I spent 10 years or so working with, you know, the Marine Corps, Special Forces, all that kind of stuff. But it's funny how when you meet people who are like you, especially in that military environment, it's like family, right? And it hits right away. Yeah. Like I, I didn't know Colin in the military at all because we were in the, in the fire hall together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were in the the same fire station, and I had been there for a couple of years, and he joined up, and you know he's just awesome dude. Yeah, and yeah, I was real. I I was a bit torn if I would have had to leave this place so quickly, but I was pretty pumped if I would have been able to get back there and be his friggin' neighbor. That would have been fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I talk a lot about is. Um, the camaraderie that gets developed, you know, and I, you know, I play, played rugby. I was a fireman, you know, so I was in the fire service too. And those kind of environments, you build relationships that you just can't build anywhere. Playing rugby, you know, things like that. You just can't build those kind of relationships otherwise. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like we're, uh, we're a pretty small community here as far as work wise and everybody knows everybody. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be the smallest base in Canada so tell us you know give us a little bit of you know 
a little bit of Canadian geography here. You're in Goose Bay. Where the fuck is that? What's that all about? And what's life like there? Uh, it's in Labrador, which is Newfoundland and Labrador. There's a, it's a small community. Probably anybody who Wikipedia's this is probably going to break my balls, but there might be, <laughs> might be 7,000 people all included the whole place to get into Goose Bay from either way. There's a, a road that goes through Quebec. It's called the Labrador Highway. And it's about, uh, there's probably, I think it's 400 kilometers of dirt road. Really? Yeah. And if you go the other way, there's a, a southern route, they call it. And that goes, and there's about 250 kilometers of dirt road on that one. And that hooks onto the island of Newfoundland. And then you got to go all through Newfoundland and down to Nova Scotia and stuff like that. Uh, Cape Breton. So. So you don't do a lot of riding around there, huh? Well, there's, they call Labrador big land, like the big land. Cause it is fucking huge. Yeah. And uh, so there's this community here and then about 500 kilometers away, there's another town called Labrador city. And they call it Labrador City because it's got a Walmart and a Canadian tire. <laughs> and it, that makes it a city. It's got a McDonald's too. That's funny. Yeah. And that that stretch of highway just got paved over the last couple of years. Man. And it's, yeah. So you live about, in the middle of nowhere, huh? Absolute middle of nowhere. I thought, it, yeah, I could send you a screenshot of where it is. And you're like, what the? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'll give you the Coles notes, though. There's uh, an A&W fast food place. There's a Subway. Nice. There's, I think, two, there's three gas stations, a liquor store. There's a car dealership. And I think we do, we did a count. I think there's 14 bars. 14? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. And there's a weed store. You can buy weed. Oh, that's that's legal there, right? It is. And to tell you the truth, the weed store is the nicest fucking store in town. Because they got all the yeah. money or what? I don't know what it well, it's uh it's tweed, right? What's that? That's what it's called? Yeah, T W E E D. Okay. And uh one of their investors, silent partner guys, which they allude to when you go in there, excuse me, it's Snoop Dogg. <laughs> He is, or that's just what they say? I would believe he is. Really? Yeah. So Tweed is an actual community in Ontario, outside of Ottawa. Yeah. That's where the that's where Hershey chocolate used to be made in Ontario. Oh, all right. So they they uh, they closed that factory down, and they started making weed there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's the whole province is it's, it's like stepping into a time warp. How so? Uh, it's a, the small things you notice, like you can't do a lot of things online. You got to be face to face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's technology's not there. People are they're setting their ways. It's it's really uh, it's different, but it's good. Like. You know, I went to get my, well, a small example, 
hunting small game. Like you get a small game license. Yeah. You go in, and in Canada, you need a, they call it a PAL, a PAL, which is a possession acquisition license for firearms. And you need that to get a hunting license. You need it to carry, carry a shotgun or rifle in the woods. And you needed to buy ammo. So when I first got here, I went to, uh, to one of the, I think we had two or three gun stores here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't have, my pal had been renewed, but they didn't send it to me here. It didn't follow me. So we wanted to go bird hunting. I went and I got my license, my hunting license. All I needed was my driver's license. Yeah. I couldn't, I didn't have ammo for my shotgun. And my buddy got it for me. And uh, I was behind him in line. And he said, yeah, I just, uh, I gave him the boxes. He put the boxes up there and the guy's like, okay, yeah. I need your pal. And my buddy said, yeah, I don't got it. He's like, yeah, fuck it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, no, joking. Here it is. And like, this place is no fucks given like, wow. for quite a bit. And That's for crazy. Strange. Like it's, this is backwoods. Like, yeah. It's it's hard, yeah. It's different. Uh, you get affected different things, but uh, not uh, big world stuff. It's yeah. And then, uh, how much more time have you got in the Air Force? I think it's January twenty, January twenty sixth, two thousand twenty six. Uh, January fourteenth, two thousand twenty six. I can retire. Oh, okay. Um, and that what makes you 20 years in? No, 25. 25. Gotcha. 26. Yeah. I'm, I can get a full pension then, but you know, somebody's going to pay the Hurley bills. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like I said, we were supposed to be up in uh, Nova Scotia this month, but you know, with all the COVID stuff, that's not going to happen. So I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe, well, but whenever it happens, we'll, I'll have to make sure I let you know and so we can hang out. Are you guys yeah. like rating this, like geographically? Are you? Uh... Yeah, so um, we're in Kansas City, Missouri. Interesting thing about Kansas City is that it's like a bi-state city. So it straddles Missouri and Kansas. Okay. And so we are basically smack dab in the middle of the U.S. And, you know, the, the interesting thing for me, you know, in the book, I write about how, you know, I was in D.C. I was working for the federal government. You know, I, I had lived this like international travel, been all over the place. And I sh I'm not even kidding you. When I was a kid, if you had said, you know, where is Missouri on a map? You know, I would have sort of closed my eyes and pointed and had no idea, right? <laughs> um, like geography is not a thing in the... It, it, it is yeah. a thing, but, you know, there's like this bias, right? And I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but, you know, there's a East Coast, West Coast bias, right? Like if you're from the coast, then you know the coast. So I'm from Philadelphia. I know the East Coast and the geography and all that sort of stuff. You know, when you're in school, you learn all the states and their capitals and you learn where they are. But, you know, I, I never thought about Missouri or anything like that. You know, I knew where California was, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so that's that's one bias. Right. And then you have um, 
you know, places like Chicago, like big cities that are, that's in the Midwest, but it's still a big city. Um, and so when I was in DC, Jeremy and I met online um, and he's like, I live in Missouri. I was like, oh yeah, that's a state. I know, I know it's a state. <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> um, and so moving here was, it was a risk. It was a challenge. It was sort of like every other thing I'd done, you know, probably at that time, I probably thought of it in a similar way that I thought about moving or going to Yemen, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. Like you're having good luck. I know. Right. I am. And so I moved, I moved to Kansas city, you know, really not sure what it's going to be like, but it, um, I, again, this is another fixer story, but um, right before I moved to Kansas City, to Missouri, I ran into one of my best friends who I actually worked with in Iraq. And he said to me, oh yeah, I've got this place in Kansas City, but uh, I'm getting stationed overseas for work. And I was like, well, I'm just about to move to Kansas City. And he's like, well, I need somebody to watch my house while I'm gone. And I was like, well, <laughs> I need a place to live. Okay, so, I, hopefully by talking to you today, some of that rough luck is going to rub off. Because Yeah, hopefully. Um, to- I mean, it was, it was like, it was unbelievable. And so he moved, him and his family moved out and they moved overseas. And about a week or so later, I moved in. <laughs> that's the place you sold? No, that's a, that's a, I lived there just about five years ago. So I just lived there for a couple years while they were out of town. They came back into town um, and then okay. I moved out. Yeah. Um, but the good thing about Kansas City is that it, it was basically, it's basically perfect for what I needed, right? I, I'd been all over the Middle East and Europe, um, a little bit in Asia, and it's this small Midwestern town, right? So you know, that means it's sort of slower paced, not as much traffic, fewer people. So that's one part of it. You know, another part is like, it's a barbecue town. It's a beer town. (laughs) Fuck, I love me some barbecue. You know, and and it's like good people, right? And so, um, and and my buddy's house, he had this massive mansion right downtown in the middle of one of the most happening parts of town, right? It's called Westport. And so, me and Jeremy, we could walk to 15, 20 bars, 15 restaurants or something like that. And it was, it was the perfect mix, right? So I moved from DC where there's all sorts of traffic and every, there's all sorts of people there. It's really expensive. And, you know, like I said, I, you know, it was this period of my life where I'd come back from um, Bahrain. I'd gone through like one of the most depressed periods of my life and I was trying to figure out where I was going. And Kansas City wound up being perfect, you know, because it was small, but not too small. Great food. You know, there's good sushi places, probably not great sushi places, (laughs) you know what I mean? There's good Chinese, probably not great, you know what I mean? Like all the stuff you want to do and eat, but forget about the barbecue, right? Like that's out of this world. Um, I'm not going to have to take your word for that. I'm going to have to fucking try myself. Yeah, you're gonna have to come out. It's uh, it's so much fun. I I think well, I was down in Texas for three weeks before Christmas this year. 
on a course and I ate barbecue half the time there. Yeah. Yep. Like I was, all the, uh, the bell helicopter instructors were ex Marines and stuff like ex aviation Marine dudes. Yeah. And every day, like it's funny how the course worked out because I was able to go on this course from goose Bay. That's I, crazy. I sold, I sold it to my chain of command. I was like, I need this training for the better yeah. of the year. <laughs> nice. It was like fucking 25 grand. Holy shit. That's crazy. Oh, it's wild. Well, I, when I started like sniffing around, I was like, you guys got money for training? I'm like, yep. Anything you guys need. And I was like, okay, I need this. Roger. <laughs> got it. Got it. But while I was doing that, my buddy in uh, Ontario, who I was overseas with, who I was on the same crew with, like I was supposed to be at his wedding. He was supposed to get married in the Dominican in fuck. I, well, obviously the trick got canceled and it's pushed to October. And it was really good buddies. Yeah. He was, he was on the same course. <laughs> nice. So we went down there together. We had, we we're staying at the same hotel. Fucking, we had rental cars. We just, we'd uh, ping the instructors going, Hey, barbecue drinks do it what do we like yeah bring yeah. like info bing bang boom we we're doing all this stuff like i got i got to go to a cowboys game oh man that's awesome when they were losing so <laughs> they were well they were in a losing season but we got tickets on a steal they were oh yeah so these people are all pissed off they're losing. We got these fucking lower bowl seats that were on the nice. end, mint. And they won. They kicked the shit out of the floor. Oh, really? Yeah. Was, <laughs> the place That's was awesome. Coming. I've never been in a, in a room with 100,000 people before that were insane. Was, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have to come out to Kansas City. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a, there's just tons of stuff to do, you know, I mean, you're not that familiar with like U.S. cities, but a lot of people would say, you know, Kansas City is just like small town, and it is small town, but there it has so much to offer, and it's so much fun. It's only got more to offer than Goose Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. But you said you had a chance today, you know. There, so like I said, there's a. Uh, a lot that I've wrote, written in my book. And one of the things is a section about Yemen. Um, and so I sent that to you, I don't know, just a little bit ago and you were, had a chance to read it. Uh, what'd you think about it? Uh, I don't know how you put your pants on with the fucking set of balls you got. <laughs> like honestly, or like that's, <laughs> I read that today and I was having yeah. a shit, day. I've been having a shit week, but listen, like reading that story, made me have a good day yeah well, that's nice well because it's like it was it's like a feel-good story where the two like when you first met a dude coming off the uh yeah off the bus yeah off the bus he was like the taxi driver and his dad was the fucking chief of police hooked you up like, <laughs> you, know, you just happened to slide into the, the right uh, what do they call them uh, not handlers fixer Fixer, exactly. That's what it is. It's a fixer. Yeah. So you ran into the chief of police zone as a fixer. Yeah. Yeah. That couldn't have been any smoother. And then you go, well, okay, back it up to where you were talking with your original dude. He's like, don't go. Don't <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah. Or bring yeah. me back some honey because the honey's fixer. 
<laughs> and honestly, God, I was waiting till the end where you're like, and I picked up honey, but you didn't say yeah, That's a good point. I did not pick up honey. Um, yeah, I love them. Yeah, you know, I mean, part of the problem was that, you know, at the end of the trip, when I was thinking that I was gonna, I thought I was gonna have more days in Yemen. But, you know, when the people at the hotel tried to like keep me locked down and they were like, oh, you can't get on the road. I was like, fuck, what am I gonna do? Yeah, well, you mash the panic button and you do what you did. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah exactly. And so the, your fixer there was a general son. That was a that was a crazy part of my life. It was, you know, after I had been in the military and before I went back to be a consultant for the military and I was just running around the Middle East like so that like, was an in-between time. Yeah, that was an in-between time. And so I was in graduate school, you know, working on my PhD and I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to figure out how to fix U.S. Middle Eastern policy. <laughs> Not much more to say than that, huh? Well, I'd say it's high hopes, but... Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is how I had this, like, passion, like, this um, desire. Like, I was like, I can do this on my own. I don't care what, I don't care that everybody tells me it's impossible, that I don't care where I have to go. I don't care what I have to do. I'll go there and I'll do it. I, like, I think you definitely, I, I didn't read the whole book yet. I don't know, judging by that chapter, you probably make great strides to fucking achieve the, uh, you know, Alex, Middle Eastern relationships were probably pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty huge. Yeah. I mean, and there are all sorts of stories about, you know, when I was in the Middle East before I was a consultant and during where there are successes, right? Um, you know, I think anybody who spent time, um, you know, walking the dusty streets, whether in uniform or not, has stories of how they feel like they help people live better lives. And I have those stories too, but I mean, like basically everybody says and knows it's not like I actually fixed, you know, US Middle East relations, right? <laughs> well, everybody, like those fixers you hung out with, the buses you rode on and those people you spoke with, they, they probably came out with a different point of view. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, so in, in that way, like being on that bus in Yemen and, you know, sometimes I think back and I'm like, how the hell did that all, how did I meet, you know, the police chief's son at the right moment and the general's uh, nephew at the right moment. And it's like, I would have been screwed otherwise. That could have turned out a lot fucking different for sure. It could have turned out a lot more, you know, and I, I think, I mean, we'll, we'll keep talking about Yemen, but I think about, probably the stupidest thing I almost did, which was, you know, I was in Egypt in 2003, 2003, 2004. And I already had this bug and I don't know where it came from, but I was like, I'm going to go to Iraq. I was by myself in Egypt studying at some like fundamentalist Muslim school. You know, I'm not Muslim, but I, I was like, I'm going to figure all this out on my own. 
And I was on all the travel blogs and websites and I was like, I'm going to Iraq and I'm going to figure this out. So I start trying to figure out how I can take a taxi from Egypt, you know, through Syria and into Iraq, because I was like, I want to be there and see what's going on. That's wild. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think, what, what are the Yelp reviews for fucking taxi <laughs> in for Iraq? Yeah, I know. And, and uh, I thankfully, I mean, and, and, you know, like I said, it's not like it was a thought I had. And then I was like, oh, that's really stupid. Like, I, I started trying to make the plans to do it. And I just couldn't find anybody. You know, I was reaching out and trying to, you know, like um, Lonely Planet used to have a blog called The Thorn Tree, you know, and people were trying to talk about how they got there and whatnot. And it, I just didn't make it. It's not like I was smart, smart enough or scared enough to stop myself. I, it just, it didn't work out. Maybe for the best. Uh, I think definitely for the best. <laughs> yeah. It was but yeah, I'm, I mean, I think you make a good point about Yemen and about, you know, so there's always this question around what difference did I make, right? And on a big picture, it's hard to, it's hard to argue that, you know, Iraq is a better place because of me, right? Or Afghanistan's a better place. But if you look at it in the micro sense, right? Like you think about the people on the bus, on the various buses I was on in Yemen and the fixers that I ran into, um, although, you know, I don't keep in touch with them. It's like they have like an American brother, like they got to know me in a way that they'll probably never get to know another American. Yeah. They got, they met an American on a bus going through yeah. Yemen Yeah, for no other reason that he wanted to know more about them yeah. and their culture, their language. And, you know, which <laughs> I could see the CIA questions coming for sure. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Like, yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, that was, I mean, all over the Middle East, I'd gotten this, you know, um, you must be working with CIA or the government. But when I was in Yemen on that bus, it was the first time I was like, this might be the end for old Alex. You know, I always have to just look back and think that, like, like we said, on that bus or just anywhere, making that little bit of a difference can matter in some small way, you know? I don't know how, what big of a way, but some way. I, like, I'm not, not everybody's in a position to make a difference every day or anything like that, but I try and, this is going to sound fucking stupid, but I like just being cool to people when I'm outside, no matter yeah. what. Like, even just going to the local grocery store. If, like, I went and picked up a few things at the grocery store yesterday, and it's a chore now because of all the stuff going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I had my cart and I, you know, I had some, some food and it was small. Like I probably had 15 things in there. There wasn't much. I had one of the small carts and I was pushing it up. And there was a lady who had a giant cart full of yeah. shit. Like, Hey, you can go ahead of me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you. Very, really appreciate it. Went in, yeah. fire my stuff, like boom, boom, boom. And the lady who was doing the till, she was like, are you in a hurry? I was like, no, no, she just let me ahead. So I'm trying to, fire through this and we'll get her done. Thank you. Thanks like a few times. And like people are, sometimes people are cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, you know, the ways that we can make a difference. I know one of the things that you and I have talked about is how we support um, veterans, people in the military who are having a tough time adjusting to, you know, coming back or 
um, or any of that kind of stuff. I don't know. Um, you want to talk about that or? Yeah. Well, like I've got buddies, you got buddies that yeah. have uh, gone through and seen a lot of shit. The, uh, the government systems in place are getting better, but they need to do better. Yeah. They're, uh, but the, the best network they have, I think, is the buddy system. Yep. Where you just got to, I find listening and making making sure guys get the support they need. You know, like yeah. they, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, which is like when they, it's a medical thing. It's not, yep. it's an injury. Sure. Yep. And you went and you were doing a job, you got injured. And I need to support my guys through any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, I, yeah. I can't believe there's stigma still to this. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I write about in the book, especially when I was in Iraq, is, you know, I, I was working... I was assigned to, you know, the regimental level with the Marine Corps. So there was a colonel who ran the regiment, but I spent a lot of my time out at the squad platoon level going on foot patrols, um, interacting with the Iraqis. And one of the things I realized really early on is that, you know, you have a bunch of people who don't care. They're there to shoot guns and get home as, as quickly as they can. But there's always people. And, and I always met a bunch of like junior Marines who were into it right they they cared about the communities where they work they were trying to learn arabic they were trying to figure out how to actually help people you know and that that's something that you don't i i'd never heard a lot about it's not something that i heard people talking about that you know you hear a lot about military people just sort of following orders or something like that but there's also just a lot of passion and commitment and when people have that passion and commitment they can't just put it off. Like you can't just throw it off when you come home, you know? No. Well, you, if you're a good dude, you just can't turn off being a good dude. Right. Right. Yep. And so I think you're absolutely right. You know, in the sense that people need that connection, those relationships, and they need somebody to listen to. And it's, it's a, it's a shame that the help that people need, they don't always feel like, they can be open about asking for it, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that uh, <clears throat> here I've had a couple of buddies that have gone through some stuff and it's things that have been accumulating through their careers. And then they get to here, they get to the point they get, they have a few bad days and then fucking boom, you, you think yeah. you're having And uh, luckily they, they had some, I don't know if you call it intervention or whatever, but they, they got the help. And yeah. The guys I know that are, they're on the mend. And yeah. They're, yeah. And all you can do is support them like hundred percent. Just, it's weird. It's some of the principles I'm sure you've been, well, you know, about the principles of leadership and stuff. And it's like, number one in my book, anyways, I don't give a fuck is looking after your dudes. Yep. Like that's yep. your, that's your job. Yep, definitely. I agree. Number one, it's like you can make machines all day long and punch them out of the fucking factory or whatever they do. But like 
you, you can't make more dudes. Yeah, I know. Right, you train them, you can fix them. Yeah. Like, like you got, it's, it's weird how it's, the government sometimes works as a company. Yeah. It costs a lot of money to run that company and you're going to put the bucks in the right place. Yeah, you know, so I think for me, the first part of it sort of coming to understand this was like being deployed and working with people and you're like, um, it, it's not a knock, but it's, you know, if you're an 18 year old who just graduated high school and now you're a squad leader who's leading engagements with Iraqi, you know, community leaders, you're not equipped with what you need to do that successfully to do it, but also to um, mentally handle it all. You know, you're just a kid, right? But you're a squad leader or something like that, you know? You're still having like weird boners you don't know about anything. (laughs) And they give you a fucking a rifle and a bunch of fellas you're supposed to be like leading and responsible for. It's I you know, I can't imagine having to be put in those situations. It's it's gotta be overwhelming and I I don't know what the uh, US military training's like, but I'm sure it's I, I would hope they were prepared as best they can but yeah i mean and you know like you said the the military the government um in a lot of ways is getting better and there are tons of leadership tactics it's just it's tough no matter what you know and so i think that was the first time i really um started to understand this and then when i came home especially when i came home from bahrain um it impacted me in a lot of ways you know i was uh I was working in Bahrain and had a a great job, but I was really depressed. You know, that would have been like 13 years I've been back and forth to the Middle East, whether in Yemen or Egypt or Syria or something like that. And like you said, it it was an accumulation. After all that time, I didn't deal with a lot of things going on. And I almost went off the deep end, you know, and the only, you know, like we were talking about earlier, those relationships, that camaraderie that you build, that's what saved me. You know, I was able to call my buddy up and be like, hey, let's go out. And he'd hop in his truck and, and we'd go out. It's not a whole lot of questions. You know, it's if I wanted to talk, then we could talk. If I didn't want to talk and I just wanted to drink beers, then we just drink beers. Yeah, just fucking shooting a text or whatever you guys did back in those days. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Petty <laughs> like, check fucking tuna message and uh it's yeah i well when i first started out in ontario i was doing some stuff with some guys for a few years and we were part of a team that we were always gone always 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 and it was one of the times when i had uh well i was living at a chick's house and we were together and stuff and we we're and she was always giving me the gears I was doing this stuff that I really didn't talk about. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, I don't tell my family about it. I don't tell you about it. But I'm gone, and I'll be back when I'm back. Yep. And that sort of, like, that wears on you. Oh, yeah. That years and years. And then, like, I guess that of the last four years I was there the first time, I didn't sleep in my own bed for at least two of them. Yeah. It, you know, finally right towards the end when I was leaving, and I left on a good terms, which is good. And I didn't like lose my fucking shit. But uh, she's like, 
she started losing on me. I was like, okay, you want to know? This is where I was, and this is what I was doing. And I just completely broke down. Yeah. And like, yeah, I need to get the fuck out of this. For I need a break. Yeah. Sometimes it's you hard. need a it's hard to really appreciate not just the toll it takes, you know, like you and me, but the toll it takes on the people in our lives. You know, for 13 years, I, w- I don't think I was in the U.S. for a full year. You know, just constantly back and forth, like you're saying. Wild. Um, you know, I think one of the other things that we were talking about is how important um, it is to think about the impact that like when, when you, like people like you and I travel and are gone and can't talk about the things that we're doing, like the impact it has on our family and friends, you know, and that's a, it's a tough thing to, for everybody to deal with, you know? My folks dealt with it pretty well. They're obviously everybody worries about that stuff. And it's just, it's uh, it, it's hard to actually get into or keep relationships. Even when, like I'm here, I'm here. This is a three year posting. I can talk about everything I do, which is weird. Like, Hey, what do you do? This is what I do. Yeah. Uh, obviously by my haircut, you can tell, you can't tell the difference from me really. <laughs> Homeless. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, I mean, I think the, um, the best thing, certainly the best thing for me was having, Um, people that I could talk to right and sometimes you want to talk and you want to describe exactly what's going on in your head and some days you don't just want to act like um act like the world's not falling apart in your head you know what I mean yeah yeah I understand that completely have have you had many people ask you or sorry say to you thank you for your service yeah yeah what's your response to that (laughs) You know, my response, I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but, you know, my response, it, I don't know. It, I, it's, I mean, I appreciate it and I understand what they're saying, but it also makes me feel uncomfortable. A little bit. Like, I I say thank you for your support. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. Like, if you say that, it's like, it's like saying thank you and you're welcome. So instead of saying you're welcome, it's like thank you for your support. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I feel good saying that because I feel good that they said that to me. And yeah, the reciprocation there is, I've honestly, God, I've never had such, like the U.S. military, when I was, I was down in, <laughs> shit, you're trying to close it out and I'm fucking getting No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was down in uh, Indianapolis because we were, we weren't broke down. We were stuck there for weather on our way to Texas with the helicopters and Indianapolis downtown was pretty good. It's a bit of a, it's not as big of a party city, but I found parties. (laughs) You know, you come out of the hotel downtown and as I walk to get a coffee at Starbucks, I'm getting fucking dudes that are sleeping on like street. They're, They're saluting me and stuff. I'm getting people oh. shaking and I couldn't pay for a coffee. Good luck. Like, yeah, it was, I was blown away by the support these cities gave to members of the uniform. It was, it was really weird. It was sort of like, 
well, anytime we're home, we're always in a community that has military and they're like, oh yeah, here's the guy. Oh yeah. Like we're just trying to do good stuff. Chill. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. No, I'm glad you had that good experience. Um, All right. I'm going to close it out here and say thanks a lot, Steve, for uh, joining me. It's been great. You know, one of the things that I really wanted to talk with you about is, you know, how we support veterans and people in the military. Um, And especially when they're coming back and trying to figure out how to acclimate to life. You know, it's really hard when you're traveling all the time, you're away from your family. And if you can't really talk about what you've done, but I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, when you said, you know, you just got to be there, you know, you got to be there to listen to people and meet them where they are, you know? So yeah, thanks a lot.